Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster Sam Baker. The last time Annie McManus came on The Shift, she was about to make a massive shift. Then in her early 40s, one of the country's biggest female DJs was on the brink of walking away. The prescribed way of doing things, climbing, 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 until you were Johnny Big Balls, as she put it, was not for her. Like so many women at this life stage, she wants to find a new way to build her own decks. Since then, Annie, now 45, has written two novels, the latest of which is The Mess We're In, out now in paperback. She's helmed two hit podcasts and launched the so fabulous I can't believe nobody thought of it before club night, before midnight, aimed at those of us who love to dance but don't want to stay up till 3am to do it. Hands up if you're in. If you're one of those people who, like me, found going for manicures really annoying and time-consuming when I could just do it at home badly, but still just do it at home, same with huge skincare routine or any of that stuff, you don't have to do that stuff. You can go around and have no nail varnish on and you'll still have a great day. Annie joined me for one of those conversations that goes all the places. We discussed the emotional upheaval of leaving a big, huge, enormous job after 17 years and how she rediscovered who she was when she wasn't Annie off the radio. Plus the loneliness of working from home, the hormonal chaos of perimenopause, the scary urge to set fire to something, how to make new friends in your 40s, getting back on the football pitch and leaning into who she really is now she no longer has to waste time getting manicures. So where are you? Are you in your shed again or are you somewhere else this no, time? I'm actually upstairs in uh, a little kind of uh, multi-purpose room, which I use as a gym mostly. Uh, but there's also a desk in here because I 
have people working in the garden, banging and drilling, and it's not going to be good for this. So I moved temporarily up here. Um, yeah, I spend most of my time in this room on my beloved Peloton uh, <laughs> and doing doing weights. And yeah, I kind of um, have commandeered it for exercise. When did the exercise? The yeah, all of it. Were you always an exerciser? I've always been an exerciser, always. Uh, and I've gone through many different phases of exercising, but this Peloton, my, my husband bought secondhand off someone uh, for his own studio, for his, uh, which I just thought was hilarious. He's a music producer. So I, you know, I kind of imagined him on the, on the bike, you know, listening to, listening to like mixed sounds or whatever on his Peloton, but it didn't last long. And then, uh, he said he would take it home. Yeah. I have just fallen in love with it. It's amazing. I love that thing. I, I like I love the fact that it's in the house. I don't have to go anywhere. I open the window, I get all my fresh air. Um, I can do weights. I can do yoga. I can do boxing. I can do dancing. I can obviously do lots of cycling. You do, you do it on and off the bike, but it just really suits where I am in my life right now. And that I can, I don't like, uh, my, my hours are so precious in the day because I essentially work in school hours to have to go somewhere to, exercise takes up too much time. So the fact I could just do it in my house and do half an hour first thing, um, it really sets me up for the day. And my attitudes to exercise have completely changed as well in that I am so interested in exercise for how it makes me feel uh, mentally and how it, how it helps me work and keeps me sharp focused and allows me to have ideas. Um, so it kind of, it's, it's, it's ticking so many boxes that it's always ticked, but I, I think I'm much more aware of the more cerebral ones as opposed to the physical ones. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I think I was definitely, i got to be honest, I was all about the weight loss when it came to exercise. That's what That was the point of it. And I do have slightly a debit credit mentality still, I have to admit. Yeah, the kind of just going for a walk and feeling so much better afterwards. Also, like I've started doing with the Peloton, loads of weights. And I've never really got fully into weights before. And God, it feels good to be strong. Mm. Um, I, I, it feels so nice to, to, to be strong and to, you know, I've never given a shit about my core. I didn't understand yeah. that because to, to me, that's like inside. So, you know, like you, it was like, well, you're not going to notice it. So what's the point? <laughs> exactly. So I've spent a lot of time working on my core and, and again, just feeling, just feeling strong from the inside out. It feels, it feels really nice. I really want to keep doing more. And I feel as I get older, more of a desire to kind of push my body and see what it can do, you know, and see how far it can maybe run or cycle or, you know, maybe it's a midlife crisis. I don't know, Sam. Yeah. I know that a lot of women end up doing triathlons around my age. Yeah. Who knows? It is. I think, I think it is a midlife thing. Control or just wanting to take something for you or yeah, I mean, I definitely, particularly the weights thing, actually. I mean, I definitely, I mean, I haven't, I used to do weights before lockdown. I haven't actually got back into it, which is a mistake. But um, I haven't, since I moved up here during that time, I found somewhere to do Pilates, but I never found somewhere that did the weights in the same way. And I'm not very, I'm not very good at being self motivated We'll talk about this as well. I'm not very good at being self-motivating. So the kind of whole Peloton thing, how do you do yoga and weights related to the so peloton. there's a mat here so you this do, is not you, an ad for peloton by the way no no, no definitely money has not changed hands definitely not there's a mat beside it and the peloton you know it's basically an, an entire library of 
workouts with gym, with instructors and trainers. And so, yeah, they tell you to get off the bike, get on, you know, so you are, it's like having a, a trainer in your room and loads of what they do is not on the bike. So that's the bit that's been a revelation for me because I'd get well bored on the bike. I like a bit, I, I like diversify, just diversify on my exercise. Yeah. Cause I thought it was just, I just assumed it was just bike. Mm. Oh. It's fast. Yeah. What you can do. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me, what was day one like after you'd left your enormous job and you were, what were you doing? Were you writing the book? Were you, what was it? So I left like? at the end of July. Oh, it was school holidays then. So it was school holidays. It took a while. There was a lot of huge emotions upon leaving. I think I was surprised at the reaction because it seemed to affect people in a way where they took it very personally because my time there of which was it was 17 years well if people had been listening for that long which a lot of people had it felt like a very stark reminder that time has passed and time marches on and I think people seem to be quite emotional about it and uh I don't think that was about me per se I think it was about what me leaving represented to them which was making them look back at their life and realizing how much had changed. And there was an element of when I left um, feeling like I had died somehow as well, because of the, there was the, everyone kind of did all these tributes, which was lovely, but it was also quite strange because I was like, I'm still here. And then the actual leaving was, was just so perfect. And I felt I'm still so grateful that my last show went as smoothly as it did and everything just clicked into place and, yeah, I, I kind of said this line in at the end of my show, which was a kind of interpolation of a lyric from a Gladys Knight song, uh, which is, if you like the music, get up and dance. And people really seem to, um, to seem to like that. And for me, it felt like fitting because it was like, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to keep yeah, I want to I want to keep engaging in life and I want to keep trying new things and I want to keep learning and all of that stuff. I was really, really excited about being a writer and I was still doing my podcast and I kind of launched myself into both of those things. Uh, I was still doing shows, still gigging. Um, so life did carry on as normal uh, in a way. I, I spent a long time just feeling very, very excited about not being at work and weekday evenings, just having all this time to be around and uh, to engage with my family or that kind of thing. So everything that I hoped um, from leaving definitely kind of came through. There was a period um, about a year after I left where I think everything came to a head a little bit in terms of the life that I had chosen, the way that I had chosen to work, which was being a writer, as we know, is hugely solitary. You're in your own head all day. You're rattling around the house. I work from home. My podcast is also, as yours is, I presume, mostly on Zoom. Um, the producer that I work with lives in Edinburgh. So there's not a lot of like face-to-face meetups. You know, you're doing everything virtually, which is amazing that you can. But equally, that kind of face-to-face human connection, I found that I was really lacking. And I had a period of two or three months at the at the autumn of 2022 that I really got, I got a bit of a fright actually um, in that I started, I don't know, I can't really describe it. I just felt, I felt like, I felt really, really restless, insatiated somehow 
and I and I was um I had all this kind of nervous energy and nowhere to put it and I was at home all day and I realized I didn't really have any connections in my local area beyond like a couple of school mums I didn't feel feel rooted to my community at all um and one of the things that had happened upon leaving Radio One was I, I. It's like if you know if you're holding a balloon and you let it go. I felt so giddy with freedom for the possibilities of what I could do and where I could go. I could live abroad. I could, you know, I don't have to be in one place anymore. I don't. I don't have a boss for the first time since I was 17 and had bar jobs. Like I've always had a boss. So all these kind of this kind of new liberation made me think of how I could live my life. And, and one of the things I kept thinking about was moving back home to Ireland, really fixated on whether that was the right thing to do. And I realized upon, you know, in, in this kind of struggle of, 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 of choice, like, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? That, that my local community was something that I'd never invested in. And I think I hadn't invested in it because I'd always in the back of my head thought, I'll probably move back to Ireland sometime. Or I was just also just too busy wrapped up in my own life. So suddenly I was kind of confronted with lots more time, which is great. That's what I wanted. But a a kind of a sense of floundering. Floundering is the word I can, I always come back to when I talk about that period because I didn't really know who I was. There's a sense of an identity crisis as well when you leave Radio 1 where you're so neatly defined. You're out of that and you have to rediscover who you are. Um, who you are when you're not, you know, hiding behind exciting new music, um, you know, when you're not being that conduit on the radio. So there was a real sense of, I don't know really what I want, where I want to be. I don't really know who I am fully in the way that being rooted somewhere gives you. Yeah. I was just a bit miserable. And then that on top of like being at home all day, I was, I was lonely and it took me a long time to actually accept that word. It's a big old word. It's a big old word that, thank you. Um, and it is something that, uh, I didn't feel like I had a right to claim. You know, I had a family, I had friends who I didn't see much anymore, but I had friends. I was very lucky. I was privileged. I had a house, I had jobs, you know, all of this stuff. But I think it was a really big and important wake up call for me because I had to realize what I needed as a person to feel uh, like I was okay. And one of those things that I had at Radio 1 that that really served me with that I didn't have now was a sense of collaboration, a sense of seeing people and having genuine human connections. I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people. I'm fed by that. And I'd forgotten that. Also, I hadn't forgotten is the wrong word because I I hadn't had to even realize because I always had it. So upon it being taken away, I had to, I had to look at myself and go, okay, you, you need this. That was cool in, in a way, like it, it wasn't fun at the time. And I, and I was, I thought I was going mental. I thought I was going mad. I do think now looking back at that time that there was a sense of having a, there was hormones involved a hundred percent that were really exacerbating these feelings. And I felt like little weird things that I hadn't felt before, like, like really chronic itchiness, itchy head, itchy legs. I know that this is perimenopausal. I didn't then. So there was all these things happening that I wasn't able to join the dots with, but it was definitely some sort of a hormonal flare up then coupled with all the other things of kind of identity crisis, being alone all day. It was a lot. And it took a while to process what, you know, what it all meant 
And only there was a good while after that I was able to write about it and really kind of realize what it was. And upon writing the piece, which I did uh, for The Guardian, I had such a huge uh, reaction from people getting in touch with me, saying that they also felt lonely for their reasons. And um, I guess the nice irony of that is that you feel less alone upon sharing your loneliness. But I've had to change how I work as a result of that happening. And one of the things I was determined to do was, was A, make up my mind once and for all whether I was going to move to Ireland so that I wasn't in this kind of limbo and I wasn't always thinking, what if? What if, you know, because you have to at some point just commit to to where you are in your life. And I decided to commit to London. So that was, a kind, it felt like a relief in a way. The other thing was changing the fact that I was alone all day at home. I got a cat. Yes. <laughs> I Honestly. thought you were a dog person. I mean, I'm, I have to apologize to cats all over the world. I was, I was catist. I didn't really feel like they were my vibe. I thought they were very imperious and, you know, self-serving and all of that. But we've got very lucky with our cat and she's very sociable. And it's just remarkable how having a sentient thing in the house with you just makes such a difference. Um, so that that was that was a lovely thing. It's also a female. I live with two boys and a man, so it's nice to have it some female energy. What's the cat called? Mini. Mini. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. Um, we've got a cat, sausage, as as regular sausage. listeners will know, because he usually puts <laughs> in an appearance at some point. But he he is a combination of incredibly sociable, because he was a rescue cat, so he's a total hustler. So very very self-serving in a very endearing way. <laughs> no, I, I can't quite get over her. I'm still I feel like we're very lucky to have her and everyone adores her in our house. So that really kind of, in, in a very quiet way, made a difference to my days. I was able to talk to her as opposed to myself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know and exactly what you mean. The other thing was I had an opportunity to work with uh, my friend Nick Grimshaw at the BBC. And I, I've been very kind of loath to take on any new work because um, I felt quite overloaded already. But to have an opportunity to go into town every day wear a nice outfit, go into the BBC, work with a team and sit and chat with Nick Grimshaw for a couple of hours every week about music was so perfect for what I needed. And now I do that once a week at the podcast is called Sidetrack. It's just serves me so well. So all those things that I needed are now there and it's nice and neat and it's half a day and it's all the boxes ticked. So that's been great. And then um, the other thing I've done is try really hard to get a bit more rooted in my community. I've realized that this, especially in the last six months, I'm 45 now. So since turning 45 last summer, I have done a strange kind of regression where I've come full circle on some things that I've always kind of wanted to do and never had the time or the headspace to figure out how to do them. And each one of those, there's three things and each one of them is are, are things that I haven't done since I was in school. So the first one is I've started learning Irish again, wow. which is what I did up to when I was 17. It's compulsory in Ireland to learn Irish. It's the national language. And I haven't used it or touched it since then. 
So I've been learning that and it's been, I've been doing that for nearly a year now. And it's been so good because I've been so worried about my memory and the fact that my memory is just getting shitter and shitter. And again, I think that's perimenopausal. That is perimenopause, yeah. But it's also 15 years of very little sleep and it's, it was, it's always been bad. So it's got, it's getting even worse. So I just wanted to see if my brain still had this information that I'd remembered, that, that I'd learned when I was 17, does it disappear altogether or is there a way I can access it? Is there doors I can open to, to find this stuff again? And what it taught me is that, yes, it's all still there, buried deep. And I just needed to find it like a way to access it again. So I was so relieved that I still knew lots of the stuff, uh, lots of the Irish language. And I was just um, kind of refreshing it. So that was great. And then the other thing I've done, and this is uh, with regards to the community, is I've joined a choir. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's been, oh my God, such a revelation. I have loved it. It's a local choir, um, all sorts of people. It's quite small. There's something so lovely about standing in a room with, you know, 20 other people and all singing uh, the same song. And it's so primal, but it, it just ticks off so many boxes because first of all, you are, you're concentrating on what you're singing and you're concentrating on your parts. So you, you have to, you cannot allow any other thoughts in, you're focusing, it, it consumes your brain. It's a Secondly, the, way. the act of singing, the physical act of singing is really nice for your body. Um, and thirdly, the collective act of singing, like with people, you know, I don't understand the science of it. I don't understand what it does to you or your brain, but it is without a doubt that it feels healing. It feels meditative. You come away from there and you feel calmer, happier every week. I've really, really enjoyed that. We did a little Christmas show in the local school hall before Christmas and, uh, it was a proper buzz. Like it was, it was really nice. And then the third thing, and this is really recent, this has only happened in the last two weeks, is that I have got really into playing football again. Wow. So when I was in primary school, I was football mad. I was like the girl on the guys team. I was always into it. And then I, when I started secondary school, they didn't have football for girls there. They had hockey. So I got really into hockey. And then I never got back into playing football and my son is 10 um, and he's mad into football. So I've been playing with him now and again, just kicking it about and the odd time coaching his team, um, his local team. I did that last year because I was so incensed that all the coaches were men and 99% of the football, the community football players were boys that I was like, they need to see a female coach. So I did that a little bit. In doing all of that, I realized how much I loved playing football and always felt like for some reason I wouldn't be able to go back. I went to an over 40s football uh, session last week. Wow. I didn't know those existed. That's brilliant. I know. It's a, it's a club in East London called Gold Diggers. Um, great name. They had an over 40s session, which I was shitting it about and went to and just again, like the Irish, it was such a relief to know that my body knew what to do. Um, it felt so good and um, exhausting. It's really high intensity exercise, um, but I, I just loved it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved all the other women. There was women of all ages. There was women in their sixties. There was beginners. Is it a it female was, 
club. It was female. Yeah, it was female and well, all inclusive. So, you know, a lot of people who are non-binary as well, but just really a lovely, inclusive atmosphere. And then I got so into that. And then they told me that they only train kind of four or five times a year. So I was a bit like, oh, I kind of want to do it all the time now. Yeah. Um, and T, my husband had made friends with a nanny uh, in one of my kids' friends' nannies. Um, and he told me that she was she was a bowler and she was an ex-football player. And I should ask her if there's any local teams. So she brought me to a local session last week with a proper team, you know, who are women in their 20s and 30s. Um, which was even scarier yeah, because this, this yeah. was, this was the real deal. Um, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it's kind of awakened something in me where I suppose I always felt like I'd, I'd, I'd gone, gone too far past a certain point to go back to playing football again. And it's been so lovely to realize that I can still do that. And, uh, and just trying not to focus on, my age and trying not to get injured and just just play because I want to and because it feels good. It's interesting because there's so much of an idea that you know once you're your age, my age, that you know new things or rediscovering old things is not a possibility, and it's just so untrue, so untrue. It's so untrue, and I think especially with sport, I find it so sad. So many women in sport they quit in puberty. Um, yeah, it's, it's so sad. Um, and I think there's a, there's an element of thinking that you have to be competitive or you have to compete in sports and you can just do it for fun and you can be terrible at it and that's okay. And I think the more we can encourage women to do sport that way for fun and to be awful at it and just to enjoy it for the sake of it. I think is, is good. Um, all these women who were with me on, at the over 40s thing, they were brilliant and, and they were, it's just a matter of, of the door being opened for them and for, for people to feel welcome in that world. Yeah. Cause we couldn't play football when I was at school. Um, and now when I walk past all the little girl teams playing on, I get so much, I get, feel so much joy from those little girls covered in mud and, you know, the studs of their boots all clogged up and just, I think it was so, I was so pissed off that I wasn't allowed at that age. And it, it does feel, it feels like it's getting better, but I don't, you're right. I've never, I don't, you don't see many women on the sideline except for some mums. Don't see many mum coaches. Not at all. Not at all. And when there's no female coaches and the girls don't feel like, you know, you need to, you need to see that happening more on every level. But yeah, you're right. It is changing. Um, but, you know, I brought my son to see my friend Monkey yesterday, who's a, who's a DJ and she's also a really good footballer. She plays for Dulwich Hamlet. And we went to go see them playing Fulham Ladies yesterday. And it's the first ladies football game I've ever been to, which is embarrassing. And it's the first time my son's seen it and his friend as well. And it was such a vibe. It was so fun. And the stands, even the atmosphere at the games are different. It's way less aggy. There's more, it's more of a family feel. It's very, very fun. I mean, it's obviously, you know, male football is fun too, but there's a kind of, I don't know, there's a sense of togetherness, I think, and a sense of um, a more kind of family celebratory atmosphere at the women's games, which, which, which I think a lot of people remark on. My dad and my granddad used to have a season ticket to Don't Judge Me, Southampton. That's where I come oh, from. Yeah. No judgment. It's not, um, they're not the most, you know, 
the easiest team to support, but hey, we stick with them. Um, and when my dad couldn't go, he was going to work um, at the weekend, I used to get my get his season ticket and go with my granddad. And it was, you know, even like a family club like that. And we're talking like the mid to late 70s. You know, I learned, I'm say, I learned the word wanker on the, you know, <laughs> on the stands at the Dell and, and every other bad, really bad oh, word yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And that kind yeah. of, that real, that aggression yeah. is really associated with football, isn't it? It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the women, a lot of the time get as involved as the men in that scenario. I think, I think a lot of the time it's, it's an escape, it's a way for people to express themselves in a, in a, in a safe environment where they don't get to do that in real life. And it's, you get the same thing at a football match as I do at a choir session. You know, it's that kind of collective experience of joy and pain. And it's so important that this is, you know, when I was researching loneliness and you know that is such a huge part of the human experience is to, to to experience things collectively and the way that we live now it's everything has become so pointing towards individualism in terms of you know it's so rarely that we have appointment to watch television where we all watch the same thing at the same time or you know the way we consume media music anything so things like football matches are they're so important for us as a species to go and feel that sense of togetherness you get. So yeah, I'm all for them, but I'm just very excited about women's football at the moment. I think, um, I, I just think if I can get more women over 40 into it, like my dream is to have a, to properly play in a, in a league or something, but I don't know if I'm brave enough to play competitively at the moment. I'll just stay training. Yeah, it's like you've definitely made me think. Oh, maybe I'll investigate that a bit and see if that if there are any options for that up here because that is playing football is something I assumed was only an option for younger women. Definitely. I mean, I don't t- tend to let my age stop me doing things, but I definitely would have thought that football wasn't going to be welcoming wel- welcoming me at my great age. The whole loneliness thing is so interesting because what you were saying about you know you give up that big job. And and I did the same thing. And you you just don't really think about all the things that you're giving up. You think about when you're doing it, you think about the time that you're getting back. And like you say, it's so exciting about all, all, all the potential ahead of you. And then nobody tells you the reality of working on your own, particularly if you're a writer, when it really is all in your head and you have to be totally self-motivating. And like I said, I'm really not very good at that I really need the deadline you know and that's one of the things that the podcast gives me is it's here's a thing that I have to do every week yeah yeah it's great it gives you a sense of structure yeah but the the other thing that yeah so the structure's gone the status is gone and nobody really I certainly didn't really want to admit how much of me was my job and it was a huge amount and then also it's how central our jobs are to our friend making and it's really hard to make friends when you're in your 40s and 50s and you don't have either the school gate or the office to create. So how did you uh, how did you go about kind of making new friends? I had a a set of friends that all, you know, from covid kind of splintered into various parts of the country and everyone, you know, is obviously busy and stressed and has loads loads of, you know, loads of shit on. So it's kind of like your friendships after, during and after COVID, a lot of them moved online and, and, and went to WhatsApp and kind of stayed on WhatsApp. And you, uh, there was, a, I suppose, a realization that 
you have entire friendships that only exist on WhatsApp. And that WhatsApp, what, what, what WhatsApp does is it very sneakily uh, makes you feel like your friendships are still healthy because you're chatting a lot, but you're not actually seeing people face to face. That face to face connection is what is so important when it comes to loneliness, because you could have 30 friends on WhatsApp that you speak to every week. But until you're actually seeing people face to face and having, um, you know, having improvised interactions, you know, where you're seeing facial expressions and you're feeling people's, you know, energy and you're touching hands or whatever, that stuff is so crucial. Um, so I realized that I was going to have to try and make some more friends um, that were accessible to me, um, that were local, that I could call on and have a point with, you know, within an hour if if I needed to. And I'd never really embraced the school mom thing. I had a couple of friends that I really loved and I didn't really, uh, I, I kind of shied away from the whole, um, you know, school mom thing. I, I felt quite like, um, I didn't have the time or the headspace to deal with it. Um, and I was kind of in and out on the school runs and yeah, just, uh, didn't really engage with it too much. Um, so made an effort to try and do that. And I kind of, messaged a couple of four or five people who I thought were lovely um, and would love to get to know a bit more and kind of suggested a night in the pub and it went really well and we kind of all admitted that we would like to do it more often and we now have a very rough rough kind of schedule in place where we try and go to the pub every couple of weeks and catch up and it's such a small thing but it really does make the world of difference to know that you have a little gang near you locally that you can lean on and call on you know that that was a really big big move for me uh weirdly it shouldn't feel like that but it was uh, and it had a big effect on me and the other thing that I did was um I discovered my local Irish pub and that uh is ridiculous because I walk past it every day on the way to school but I hadn't really been in it that much and I I had to go in it uh, because I ended up interviewing the landlady there, who's an amazing woman, um, for my most recent novel, um, of which a lot is set in an Irish pub. And going in there and getting to know her was really strangely profound as well, uh, because the more I went in there, the more I felt a kinship with the with the people that were in there. And it's a you know it's a brilliantly typical Irish pub. There is no frills at all. You know, strip lighting, no no nice candles, uh, no food, just, you know, it's very basic, but it acts, I suppose, as a kind of community center for an entire layer of local people that I'd never accessed before. They are most of them Irish abroad and they're a complete motley crew, but getting to know those people and being able to walk into a pub and say hello to people and buy a pint for someone or have a pint bought for you. Like it's so small, but that makes such a difference to that feeling of belonging. And to feeling like you, um, yeah, just that, that you that you belong where you are. And it, it, it the, there's a lot to be said for why there's Irish pubs all over the world. And I get it because when you live abroad, you have this sense of uh, never being Irish enough to live in Ireland again, because I've lived, I've lived in London for 25 years, but also always being a foreigner in London. Now, it's easy to be a foreigner in London because it's a city made up of foreigners, you know, but there's still a sense of otherness. When you go there, 
what you're confronted with is lots of people who are like you, who are kind of in the middle um, of things, not neither here nor there. And there's a loveliness in feeling at home with them. So that place and discovering that place and going to that place has made a real difference to me as well in just feeling like I'm more rooted in my local area. And, and I have kind of friends that I can call on, not close friends, you know, but just if I could go down there on my own with my book and feel comfortable, which is a lovely feeling. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I think it's one of those things when you've got one of those jobs, like your job where your entire social life revolves around your work and certainly you live in London, but everybody converges kind of in the middle or wherever the work is. So you only really, certainly I felt that you only really realised how far everybody, how far away everybody was when I stopped going into work in an office. It could be like a four hour round trip to have a cup of coffee with somebody. And I think once we moved up here, I mean, the first time a friend, it was after lockdown had started to lift and pubs and bars were open, but, you know, sitting outside and things. The first time somebody texted me and said, yeah, I'm, I've so had it with work today. Do you want to go for a drink? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, see you in 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's that the was dream. completely new yeah. to me because of the way I'd lived my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's You really can't underestimate how living in a city can, um, how hard it is to stay connected. And it's so, it's, it's you know, it's such a contradiction in terms. You're surrounded by people, but it can feel like you're going to Brighton and back to meet a friend in London. It's unbelievable. My best friend lives in West Ham. It takes an hour door to door. So it's two hours every time I want to see her. 
Um, and you're in North London, aren't you? I'm in Northwest London, yeah. So the opposite end of London, yeah. So it's it's it, it's a real hard um, struggle to maintain friendships, and you have to be really invested in them and really, you know, really want them to work in order to do that. And I think it happens naturally as we grow older. Anyway, we have friends that fall away naturally, and I think it's really there's there's something to be said for that. I think it's important to kind of to be able to appreciate a friendship while it lasted and also appreciate when it's, when it's, when it's over and, and, you know, just be glad it happened and not feel like a friendship ending is necessarily a failure. There's friendships that can really, you know, work for you at certain periods of your life. Um, I've, I felt like after leaving Radio One and where I am now, it was really interesting, I suppose, to, 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 to kind of really see who my real friends were when you take away the status and when you take away the perks and the, free guest lists and you know all of that stuff (laughs) who's there at the end of it so my friendship group has got much smaller but then I have been forced then to look at myself and figure out who I want to be and 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 what type of person I am and what do I need and in doing that it's helped me it's helped me get a, a different type of friendship group much more varied in age all sorts of people yeah it's much more diverse I like that how much, I mean, you mentioned your hormones earlier. How much do you think, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think your hormones and what you were kind of on the cusp of going through played into that whole experience? I don't think my hormones played into it that much, if I'm really honest. I think it was a, if if they did, it was unconscious, like it was subconscious on my part. I wouldn't have been aware of them playing a role. The first time I really felt my hormones uh, affect my life in, in in a way was was that period um, at the end of twenty twenty two when I felt that kind of very floundering, restless, and, and 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 kind of a lonely, a new type of loneliness. So I don't think it really played into into the leaving. I don't think it did um, in terms of how I would be aware of it. Yeah, in the loneliness piece, which I'll actually pop the link. Um, in the show notes, if anybody wants to read it, it's really, really good. Um, you, there's a moment where you say you wanted to set fire, metaphorically, you wanted to set fire to things, and I, I think that will resonate. I, mean, I li- literally went yes when I read that because I think that so many women at this age and stage and feel that have that feeling where they just want to put a bomb under it. <laughs> so I actually, I was recording a podcast with a friend of mine, Sophie Haywood, an amazing writer and woman. And I said that line out loud to her and uh, it, it kind of scared me. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? But it really rang true to how I was feeling. I don't know where it came from. And you know, now that you say that, it's definitely, that that is definitely something to do with hormones, but it's also a sense of, I don't know, maybe like a, there's frustration in there. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like, yeah, a sense of just wanting to turn, turn the table over, you know, just flip the table over and do something drastic and move to the other side of the world and just lean into the, the shadows and the dark sides of life and just push yourself. And I don't know, just there's, you spend so long, don't you? Um, I, you spend so long just trying to hold it together for everyone around you and yourself. I don't know. I think what that line was, was kind of way of trying to articulate a 
a kind of subversion of that, like a, a kind of need to subvert it, a need to try and stop having to be the one that is responsible with all the answers, with all the right decisions, um, stop feeling like you have to compare your life to everything, stop feeling like you have to live by the rules that society decides that you should live by as a woman in your 40s. Like there's 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 so many things going on in that one little sentence. But I feel I feel that still, but it's way less extreme than it was. And I know very I'm very sure that that will come back. And I think, I don't know, you you may know more than me, Sam, but I feel like that was a little taste of of a menopausal moments. And I I think it will I think it will come again. I am really interested in that whole side of menopause and that whole side of growing older as a woman. And I was list, I was reading this uh, article by Miranda July in Vogue, which I thought was amazing. Um, she was talking about how, you know, as women, we're, we have a template of how we're supposed to live and look and act from when we're really young. And then you get to middle age and there's nothing <laughs> because you don't see women of a certain age out there on in films, you know, you don't really, you, you've got no, yeah, you've got no rule book for how to exist. And you have this huge, you know, menopause word hanging over you, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the kind of precipice of it. And part of me is kind of like, I'm kind of scared of it, but I'm also quite excited about it because I, I feel like it's going to send me places and I'm kind of down for that. She says, I mean, I'll wait and see what it does really, but I do think that there's personally I feel I don't know who I'm going to be and I think that's really exciting me in a way and I want to be as open to to change as possible and I want to keep surprising myself what I'm what I'm realizing kind of zooming out on how I have changed in the last couple of years even since leaving Radio 1 is that leaning into who I am now is a lovely feeling, not being ashamed of my age, not feeling any way about it, just embracing being 45 and, and trying not to listen to any stereotypes or any like, uh, I suppose rules of society for how I should be. Um, before midnight, the club night I, I, I made up was a really kind of confidence building, uh, process with, with that regard in that it, allowed me to be very confident in who I was and what I needed and to still want to go clubbing and still experience clubbing, but do it in a way that suited me and uh, do it so that it ended at midnight. And the reaction to that was so overwhelmingly positive and the people that come to it are so overwhelmingly female and it's like 75% women and it's made me feel so empowered to make choices for myself and not fit into the boxes that society has told me I should fit into. And you know what else? This is the other thing. I know you email me about the Nivea TikTok oh, yes. thing. Yeah. I've been sitting here looking at your amazing glowing skin. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I honestly feel like, and this is, this is like a slow dawning realization that we're, we've just been, we've just, we're, we've been so duped women in society. It's such a fucking trap. Like at every level of how we are supposed to exist, we are being held back from the starting line and made to wait longer to 
proceed through life in, in a way that we want to. Heels, what the fuck are they about? It's, it's, it's it like, why, who decided that women should have to wear heels? It's literally the biggest handicap you can have. And if it's, you can't move with your body, it's unnatural. Makeup. What the fuck is that about? Why, why is it so, why is it such a given that women have to cover their faces with makeup? All that, like the group, like the amount of time that women spend grooming. If you could spend that time doing learning fucking qualifying, you know, I don't know, whatever, just reading a book. Like it just makes me furious. The amount of things that are expected of women that hold them back from, uh, from whatever they want to do. And listen, if you love, I love lipstick. I will always wear red lipstick. I'm not saying I'm not trying to denounce anyone who wants to feel like they look nice, but if you're one of those people who like me, found going for manicures really annoying and time consuming when I could just do it at home badly, but still just do it at home. Same with, you know, like a, a huge skincare routine or any of that stuff. I just don't have time. And I, I feel quite passionately that you don't have to do that stuff. You can go around and have no nail varnish on and you'll still have a great day. Um, yeah, it's all that stuff just feels like it's about consuming our time and energy and money so we're not using it on something it's like a trick it's like someone's literally someone's been like haha we got them there we've we've got them to spend all of their money the, the the skin stuff is just i mean i find it really overwhelming when i start getting into like what i should be putting on my skin and not um it's so vast and um don't have the time or the headspace to really uh do enough research to know about it. But all I know is that I genuinely do not believe that most of those creams do anything or serums or fucking whatever. And I tell you what's good for skin, sleep. Yeah. Hey, what's good for skin, water and good food. If you can do that, you'll have good skin. No amount of serums, no amount of creams can change a, a good diet and a good night's sleep and lots of water. Like I think we just get we just get tricked so much and, t- and our time is like sucked away by kind of Western capitalism. And it fucking, I just feel like I've kind of come up to the surface and I've just suddenly seen it all. And I'm, and I'm, and I cannot believe that I've spent so much money and time doing all this stuff that just doesn't matter. I can't think about what I could have done with the money that I've spent on clothes and skin cream. And, you know, um, it's so interesting what you were saying just then about the, you know, the kind of the trepidation of menopause, but then the excitement of what comes next. And and listening to you talk, you're so already in that zone because the number of women I speak to are like, you know, I don't care about that stuff anymore. And I'm so much more in touch with the person that I used to be, you know, the person who played football and sang in the choir and learned Irish and didn't waste all their bloody time on manicures and What's the main difference in Annie McManus now? I'm very much more connected with who I am, who I was. I've kind of, yeah, there's a sense of having come full circle. Um, and I, I'm, I'm more connected with, um, you know, the with, with myself. And I kind of know myself more. Uh, I've been forced to know myself more. And I feel more in tune with um, with my feelings and um, kind of hyper aware of my 
uh, more just like more more aware of my cycle, more aware of my body and and what it does for me. Um, way more grateful for all of that stuff, not taking anything for granted. I think I'm a better mother. I definitely feel more around and engaged and um, there for my children. Still struggle, like I've always struggled, with a sense of uh, having more work than I would like. But I also think that part of that suits who I am. Way more in control of my life. And that feels really good. And that's every aspect from my diet to my exercise to the work I want to put out into the world. But most of all, I think it is that I'm my own boss. I had become very much um, institutionalized in a way, you know, when, you know, always having someone who set an agenda, what I did. And uh, it's been really nice to be able to set my own agenda and uh, to go at the speed that I want to go at and to um, slow down in one way, but uh, kind of feel like I've speeded up in other ways in that I've really, really listened to myself for the first time and had the, had the, the time and the space to do that. And um, that feels really nice. Right. What's your emotional age? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I feel like I'm, I am the age that I am supposed to be, you know, emotionally now. I feel like my emotional age is, is my age that I am now. So 45, if that's allowed. Yeah, totally. Give us a book recommendation. I am currently reading Afua Hirsch, Decolonizing My Body, which is excellent. Talk about a woman who's gone through a huge upheaval when it comes to Everything she's learned with regards to how to be a woman today, she's completely had to relearn, unlearn it, and then relearn it. And that's what this whole book's about. It's very pertinent to everything I've been talking about in that, just the, the sense of realizing that you've been duped somehow and uh, that there's way and approaches to be a woman than the ones that we are told. Yeah, I've been desperate to get her on. I'm going to go back to nagging. What advice would you give younger women? I think it's the hardest thing is to know yourself well enough to know what you want. And that will always change, of course. But it's, it's how, can you, how can you know yourself? It's constantly trying to do that. It's trying to tune into who you are and what makes you tick and what makes you happy and what makes you inspired. And uh, constantly try and hold on to that. Don't be afraid to question things and to go against the grain and always do everything that you can to be as connected to yourself as you possibly can. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes. You have to ask questions of yourself that you might not want to know the answers to, but it's a process and it's something that can take your whole life. But the more you know who you are, the better decisions you will make for yourself in your life. Do you wish you'd known yourself better when you were younger? Yes, there was definitely periods where I where I should have done things differently, but equally I feel very lucky that I got through a lot of my like early womanhood unscathed uh pretty much from decisions that I made. So I I don't wish it, I don't regret it. Um I think uh I did everything right for who I was at the time and I I wouldn't want to be cross with myself. 
I just feel relieved. Yeah. <laughs> real relief. Yeah. I know what you mean. And yeah. I just would not want to go back to being in my early 20s for anything. No, it was absolute chaos. Who's your old bird role model? How old are we talking? Just older than you. My sister, probably. She's three years older than me. Yeah, not very old bird role model. I don't know if she'd appreciate being called an old bird, but um, she is a uh, very fierce person who um, fights to express herself in a way that she needs to do. She's a performance artist and uh, she lives in a rural Irish town and she has three children, uh, of which um, one uh, is differently abled and she is their carer. She has to fight for space and time to do her work, which is very radical where she is. You know, she does really uh, extravagant performance art pieces where she might like crawl through the local town at midnight with a head torch on or walk up and down uh, the waterline of a, of a local beach from the middle of the night to sunrise, you know, until her feet are bleeding, like very evocative, um, you know, amazing art and I always just think the kind of fearlessness of that um doing stuff like that uh, in such a you know in such an environment that where, where people are like who is this woman what's she doing is pretty pretty amazing um she sounds amazing what's your superpower I think that I am maybe lucky and I think I got this off my dad who is one of those people who is so naturally gregarious you know, he's, he's very comfortable around people and he, he, he really becomes alive around people. I remember as a girl kind of going with, with him on his messages, you know, wherever he would be going, dropping into people here and dropping stuff off and just always witnessing him around people and how he, it was just so naturally able to, um, yeah, just, just, just have a conversation with people and, and have these kind of positive exchanges with people and, I feel like that's the kind of thing that I can do naturally, but also it's something that I, that genuinely, um, I've noticed it more and more. I, 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 I'm really, uh, I love, like I, I, in a very quite profound way, like I can be having a, a pretty shit day and I can go down, down into the little village where I live. Sounds like I live in the country. I live in London. Um, and I can have an exchange with the guy in the cafe and, you know, with the other guy in the, bakery or whatever and that could literally turn my day around um I love those little exchanges I love people and connecting with people so maybe that's my superpower connecting last one how many fucks do you give fucking way less than I used to and it feels amazing I hope I'll get to the point where I'll be able to say zero but definitely the fucks are going down Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like my conversations with Joe Wiley and DJ Paulette. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like more of The Shift in your life, head over to theshiftwithsambaker.substack.com and sign up for weekly newsletters, podcast extras, and more.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.